you guys doing? Well, I guess it's afternoon, isn't it? Almost. I don't know. When's your afternoon start? Afternoon? Afternoon. Okay. Well, then you got 11 minutes, 10 minutes. Man, great to have you guys this morning. Uh, just glad that you are here. If this is your first time, just want to welcome you. Um, my name is Pastor Chris, and I uh, believe that God has something for you. We uh, started last week studying the book of Isaiah. Um, so if you have your Bibles and you want to uh, open up to Isaiah chapter 29, uh, last week, if you were here, we actually gave a reading plan because um, what we're actually encouraging people do, to do is actually um, read through uh, the book of Isaiah over the course of these next few, these five weeks that we are uh, in this series um, last week, we focused on Isaiah chapter 6, um, where uh, Isaiah saw this vision um, of the calling that God had given him to go and preach uh, to, to the people of uh, Jerusalem, the Israelites, the people of Judah, um, and, and uh, that he said, here am I, send me, and that God told him, he said, hey, Isaiah, I'm going to send you these people, but they're not going to listen to you. And uh, here we are in chapter 29 today. We skipped all the way from 6 to 29, so we hope that you've been reading. It's a pretty difficult, if I'm being honest, a pretty dip- difficult book to read. Um, just want to encourage you guys just to keep uh, plugging on through it. Um, if you don't have a Bible, like a study Bible, I encourage you to get one. Because a study Bible, what it will do is it will actually walk through um, some of the uh, explanation of some of those things. Um, so if you don't have one of those, I would encourage you to um, try and find one of those. So we're in Isaiah chapter 29 where we're looking at this whole idea of, um, of hypocrisy. Um, the, the prophet Isaiah is speaking to the people of, of Judah um, and talking to them about their hypocrisy, um, about being something or saying stuff that they really aren't. Um, uh, Ashley and I have been married now, coming up June for 27 years. Yeah, it's awesome. And uh, it's been uh, it has been wedded bliss the whole 27 years. Yeah, I'm perfect, right? Every marriage is perfect, not. Um, and uh, but you know, four kids later, I've learned a lot through my uh, relationship. Uh, God has taught us a lot through our relationship. And and I don't know if you know this. And this, I'll just give you this. It's free. You don't have to pay me for this. But. Um, uh, uh, I don't know if you know, but marriage is not to make you happy. It's actually to make you more holy. That's why the Bible talks about how the marriage um, is like Christ is the head of the church and the church is his bride. I don't know if you ever knew that. But a relationship doesn't mean that everybody has to get married. Doesn't mean that you can't be holy if you're not married. But... God gives us, right? He created Adam and Eve. He created a helpmate for us. And he didn't, he didn't give us a spouse um, to make us happy. He gave us a spouse to make us learn to be more like him. And so that's free. You guys can. Uh, but anyway, 27 years. 27 years. And when Ashley and I started dating, we started dating in college um, through a, a very interesting set of circumstances. And... Um, 
uh, we, hadn't been, we hadn't been dating for about three months, and uh, I knew that she was the one that I was supposed to marry. Like, God made that very clear to me, and so uh, I called her mom and dad one day and said, hey, uh, would it be possible for us to go to, go to lunch, because um, I'd like to talk to you about something, and so uh, we, got, we got there to the restaurant, and, um, and we sat down and just were chit-chatting for a little bit, and then her dad said, well, I know why you're here. I'm like, oh, no. And uh, I said, well, yeah, I said, I, I would like to, or no, he didn't, he said, I know why you're here, and he said, I want to put your mind at ease, because I want you to know it's okay for you to marry our daughter, because we've been praying for you for a while. And I'm like, awesome, I didn't even have to ask, <laughs> and I didn't even have to pay for the lunch. That was even better because I had planned on paying for the lunch. I was a broke college student, but I saved some money to be able to pay for lunch. But so, so we started dating and, you know, started at that point planning to, to, uh, to get married. And, and I realized real quick that her dad loved to play golf. And so I thought, you know what? Maybe I should learn to play golf. You know, I'm like, it can't be that hard, right? I was, a, I was an athlete in high school, played some basketball, played some soccer, and, you know, even played a little bit of college. And, you know, so how hard can it be to chase around a little white ball, like hit it straight? And so got me some clubs, and one of the first times that he actually took me out, uh, he actually took me uh, to the driving range. And I'm like, this is not golf right? He knew better than to take me to a real course. Uh, and so we went out there and he started trying to teach me, uh, teach me how to play golf. And uh, within about, I don't know, Ashley and I had been married six years and I had been trying to learn. Didn't really like it all that much, to be honest with you. I think I was just doing it because I thought, oh, it'd be a nice thing. Her dad probably would like me better if I at least attempted to play golf. And uh, so about six years into, into us being married, her dad ended up passing away and I gave up golf. <laughs> I obviously didn't like it as much as I thought I did. So I gave up golf and then my, uh, my daughter got married just about three years ago and her, her husband uh, loves to play golf. He came to me after them dating for three months and said, hey, I'd like to marry your daughter. And I said, no. No, that's not what I said. That's what he interpreted. I said, not now. <laughs> and, he, and they interpreted no, but they ended up getting married. And I, I love you, Randy. I really do. God, God sent that son-in-law to me. And I'm, I'm very blessed um, to have him. And so he loved to play golf. So I thought, hey, what a great way for me to be able to hang out with my son-in-law is to be able to play golf. So started playing a little more golf um, there for a while and, um, and still, it still am. So a couple weeks ago, we went up to play golf with a couple other guys up at Castle Bay up in Hampstead. Played one of the greatest golf games of my life. I mean, yeah, it was awesome. I mean, I was hitting the button, I man. Randy's my straight. I, I was hitting the ball straight. I mean, it was the most consistent. It was the best score I've ever had in, in my golf game, okay? So then, you know, a couple weeks go by, and I go play golf yesterday. I'm like, surely, like, that was not just like a fluke. Like, this is legit. I am now a good golfer, <laughs> right? 
I mean, when I started learning, when I started learning to play golf, I, I didn't have to go buy clubs because Ashley's dad gave me clubs. And so they were Callaway golf clubs. Oh, yeah. You know, I thought, oh, I'm really going to be good now. So I went out, bought me a nice golf shirt and bought, bought me some nice golf shoes. And I got, you know, I had to go get some good ball, some, some, some of the right balls, right, to play with. Because I thought those things would make me a good golfer. No, I'm still, I'm still horrible at it. So we go play golf yesterday. So I go play golf yesterday with a couple guys here from the church and get out on hole number one. And, and you know, I smack it. I hit it pretty straight on the first drive. I thought, all right. I still got it, right? No fluke. I'm a good golfer. And so then I, I like hit a second shot, and then I hit like a third shot, and then I hit a fourth shot, and I hit a fifth shot, and a sixth shot, and it's only a par four. <laughs> right? I'm like, okay, it's just hole number one. You know, I got I to gotta warm up. I got to get into this thing. You know, well, hole number two, same way, hole number three. Finally, I get to hole number nine, and I'm like, I'm in my mind, I'm thinking, I'm quitting. I'm quitting. I'm telling these guys I'm playing with. I was playing with this guy, two guys from here. And I'm like, I'm, I'm just quitting. I'm like, no, I can't do that. I got to finish out this round. So we go hole number 10. I did okay, you know, hole number 10, hole number 11. Get to hole number 12. I hit the ball, hit it pretty straight, you know, and it's, it's out in the fairway. And then I hit a great second shot close to the green. And then I hit a third shot and I'm on the green. I'm right. I got, a, you know, I got a putt for par, probably, I don't know, 10, 12 feet putt for par. And so, you know, I'm a, I like to consider myself a bogey golfer, right? So if I make a bogey, I'm doing great. And so I, I step up and I've got this putt for par and I hit it and I miss it and it just rolls right on by. I'm like, oh man. And so then I hit it again and then I hit it again. And then I'm really frustrated. So I take my club, my putter, I take my putter. I didn't throw the putter. I took my putter and I, I'm probably, I mean, the ball's probably six, you know, six inches from the hole and I take my putter and I go, well, bam, and just hit that ball right into the woods. I was ticked off. You know, play, one guy, he's played with me before, so he knows how I play golf and he's a pastor, so he, he gets it. And the other guy, he's new, doesn't really know me and I get over to the next hole and I'm like, oh, shoot, man, I'm a pastor. And that guy just saw me do that. And I walked up on the next tee box. I'm saying, hey, guys, golf has an incredible way of just humbling you and helping you to really see who you really are. So if you want to know who you really are, go play golf. And so I think the book of Isaiah is, is similar to that. As we begin to look, Isaiah in chapter 29, really all the way through the first 39 chapters of Isaiah, we see God talking about judgment on the nation of Israel and the people of Judah. Um, on this, and specifically in 29, he's talking about the southern kingdom of Judah. And he's pronouncing judgment. He's, he's, again, he's told Isaiah, hey, you're going to go tell these people that what they're doing and how they're living is not right, um, and, but they're not going to listen to you. They're still being disobedient. And so for 39 chapters, that's what you're reading through. That's what you're reading through the book of Isaiah. And so we find this in, in chapter, chapter 29. In the first 10 verses, he talks about a little bit about this judgment. But in verse, like the latter part of verse 5 and, and 
portion of 6, he says this, Suddenly in an instant the Lord Almighty will come with thunder and earthquake and great noise, the windstorm and the tempest flames of the devouring fire. And what essentially what he's ref- referencing is not only the judgment that God's going to bring on uh, the people of Judah, but he's also referencing that there will be a time when God's judgment will land on all people. And so he's referencing that um, as he's uh, navigating these first 10 verses. And then we come to verse 13, and this is what he says. The prophet Isaiah, again, is speaking to uh, the people of Judah at the, in, this, in this specific passage. And he says this, this is what the Lord says. These people come near me with their mouths. They come near me with their mouths, and they honor me with their lips. But their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules they have been taught. Therefore, once more, I will astound these people with wonder upon wonder. The wisdom of the wise will perish. The intelligence of the intelligent will vanish. Woe to those who go to great depths to hide their plans from the Lord. Who do their work in darkness and think, who sees us? Who will know? You turn things upside down as if the potter were were thought to be like the clay. Shall what is formed say to the one who is formed, you did not make me? Can the pot say to the potter, you know nothing? And I find it interesting because in, in, so in the middle of this chapter one, he begins the first 10, 11 verses with this, this uh, reminder of judgment that's coming. And then he begins to just confront them on their sin in these few verses. And then on the latter, the back half of this passage, he actually talks about redemption and restoration for them as God's people. You see, I think what the reality of it is, as we read through Isaiah and specifically in this passage, when we get to that verse that says, you know, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Essentially, what he's reminding us is that we are pretty messed up people. We're just messed up people. And I think for me, golf has a way of revealing that to me. That I am a pretty broken messed up people. But what I love about who God is, is that although in our humanness, we're broken, messed up people, God still loves us and he still has the desire. He doesn't want to leave us broken. He doesn't want to leave us unchanged. He still loves us enough to want us to change and be who he created us to be. And that's the identity at which he wants us to walk in. And so what's happening in Isaiah right here is this group of people, they're wrestling with their hypocrisy. Are we hypocrites? Every one of us. It's, it's really interesting because if you, were, if you were to ask people who didn't grow up in church and ask people out, outside of the church, what is it that is a problem, one of the biggest problems in the church? It would be hypocrisy. And there's probably some of you who maybe have at one point you've stepped away from the church because of people being hypocrites and saying one thing and doing another. And maybe for whatever reason, you've come back into the church now to kind of almost essentially give God another try. And uh, we like to say it quite frequently around here that if you're looking for a perfect church, this is not it. And if you find a perfect church, you probably shouldn't go because you're going to mess it up. 
And that's just, that's just the reality because, to be honest with you, we've all said something or done something at one point in our life that goes against, we've said it, but we haven't done it. And the reality of it is we're really good, especially within the church, we're often really good at pointing out the sins of other people. And I've always heard it said, when you're pointing one finger at another, there's three pointing back at you. And I think that's maybe partially part of the reminder to us this morning is that, yes, we are messed up people. Yes, we are all hypocrites. Guess what? The people outside the church, they're hypocrites too. They say things, but do another. And that's just the reality. And so if somebody ever calls you a hypocrite, say, you're right, I am. Because we're recognizing our brokenness. And what Isaiah's trying to do is he's trying to get the nation of Israel, he's trying to get the people of Judah to recognize their brokenness and their hypocrisy. He says, your lips, they say one thing, but your actions and your heart is in a totally different place. And so what God is doing is he's confronting our spiritual pride and our hypocrisy. And so I believe that's what God maybe is wanting to point out to us this morning is is if if we're to really be honest, just to say, okay, God, who am I really? Because the the reality of it is we cannot fake out God. You cannot fake out God. He knows what's at the heart of what we do and what we say. And we can go through the motions all that we want to, but at the core of it, God knows what's in our heart. You see, I think we, I, I think for the most part, probably the most of us that come to church on a, re, on a regular basis on Sunday probably are in that place. If you grew up in the church, you probably know what to say, when to say it, and how to say it, don't you? Like, because your mom and dad may have taught you that, or a Sunday school teacher, or your, your grandparents may have taught you that. And so when you're, you're you know, when you're out, in, you're outside, outside the church, sometimes people only act one way when they actually come to church, right? That's the only time that they're actually nice to people. They come to church, oh, God bless you. You know, and then, and then we leave church and we go out, we're, we're jerks. Right? And for some reason, we've gotten into this routine. We get up on Sunday morning, we brush our teeth, we come to church, you know, and, and, we, and we walk in the door. We're like, hey, oh, hey, how's you doing? We sit in the exact same seat. Don't you? Yeah, creatures of habit. We all walk in, we sit, we sit in the same seat, we sing, we sing our songs, and sometimes we raise our hand, and sometimes you just stand there like a knot on a log. And, 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 and then you get up, you, you, you listen to me preach, and then you walk out of here, and then you go get you something for lunch, and then you're back into your regular routine. And, and maybe my question is, is that are you the same person in here, out there that you are in here? Is your, is your heart and your attitude and your, your talk and your, the things that are coming out of your mouth, are they the same thing? Because to be really honest with you, God probably cares more about what you're saying out there than he does what you're saying in here. Because in here, we all know you're messed up. But out there, we are to be a reflection of Christ. 
So God's confronting their spiritual pride, their spiritual blindness. So there's, there's two things that are happening here. If you actually look back at verse uh, 11, um, Isaiah is referencing the prophets, the prophets and the seers, okay? So the one thing that he's speaking of when he talks about they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me, one of the things he's actually referencing is uh, the uh, religious people, religious people who are saying one thing and they're, they're doing another. He's actually confronting false doctrine as well. Because what's happening in that day, much like the, much like the day and time that we're actually living in now, um, there's a whole lot of false doctrine that's flying around. And let me just caution you in that, that even in our culture today, there's a whole lot of false doctrine that's flying around. And so why did I say a few weeks ago, you need to know the word of God. You need to be able, be able to internalize the word of God. You need to be able to... Um, Uh, discern what is truth and what is not truth because there is false doctrine. There is false teachings that are going on day after day after day. Be careful who you watch on TV. Be careful of the books that you read. Be careful of the things that you are studying and make sure that they line up with the word of God. Because just like in that day, there were false doctrines. And here's the thing. What happens with false teaching and false doctrines is they, they seem to line up in some ways, but then there are some small things that are very different. There are some that are just blatant, you know, like if you were to, if you were to compare Christianity to the Muslims, they're very different, right? To Islam, if you were to compare, compare those, they're very different. But there are some people who claim to be Christians that are teaching things that are false. And, and so what he's saying in this is that if you're not careful, the enemy will deceive you, right? Because what these people are saying, it looks like they're honoring the Lord, they're honoring God with their lips, but their hearts are actually far from him. And then I think on the other side of that, he's confronting this whole idea of people who follow Jesus who are just going through the motions, Hey guys, you, you honor me with your lips. You show up on Sunday morning, you say some really nice things, you're really kind to people, but then when you go out the rest of the week, you're actually a jerk. You get to hole number 12 and you fall apart. Bam! And then I have to go to hole number 13 and say, man, I really messed up. And here's what I'll say about that. What I love about who God is, is that you know what? He actually lets us do that. He lets us actually go through the motions. But, and then he starts to reveal himself to us and say, hey, you know, this is who you really are. I learned that. Uh, uh, we, Ashley and I had three ki- uh, four kids. <laughs> I can't keep them count. There's, there's four of them. We had a girl, boy, girl, and then waited a really long time and had another boy. And with our first three kids, I can remember, like, uh, they were pretty close in age. So we had Allie, Caleb, and Anna Kate. And I can remember, uh, you know, so I can remember parenting them. And I don't know if you know this, but you parent your kids all very different because they all have very different personalities. 
And um, I mean, you have some of the same rules, some of those kind of things. But I can remember, you know, like if one of my daughters came, came in and they had done something that was disobedient, I was like, oh, you know, I was a little more compassionate, you know, uh, you know, it's kind of okay. And my son, if he was disobedient, I was ready to rip his head off. Because we just, we, we butted heads. Y'all are looking at me like I'm, okay, judge me if you want, okay? <laughs> I don't really care, right? And so I can remember that as he was young, I'd go in, you'd jerk him up, and I'd be ready to wear his hind end out because he wasn't listening to his dad or even his mom. And then he got a little older, and he got older, and I realized that he was getting bigger, and I wasn't. So then about 16, I can, you know, he's about my size at that point. He's probably not as strong as me, but I can remember going in this one time thinking I'm going to rip his head off. And I just about did, to be really honest with you. I put my hand around his neck and I held him against the wall. And what I realized in that moment was that I had a pretty major anger problem. And I came out, I came out of that and my wife's like, what's your problem? I'm like, what do you mean what's my problem? He's not going to do that to me or talk like that or blah, 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 blah. I'm going to rip his head off. She's like, really? Is that really who you should be? Is that really who God's called you to be? Should you be reacting in anger like that? I think that was probably one of the first times I realized I had a pretty major anger problem. And God began to confront me on that. And what I love is that God redeemed me and I'm not that same person anymore. Now, when hole 12 comes around, I'm angry. <laughs> right? And I'm going to smack. Fortunately, it was just a little white ball. I just smacked it in the woods because I didn't want anybody else to find it and I didn't want to find it. But what God did was when I got to hole number 13, he redeemed me. And he reminded me of who I really am and that he doesn't care if my golf game is crappy. And so God's confronting this spiritual pride, this hypocrisy. So be careful. If you are a believer, a lot of times this happens. And people who have been in the church for a very long time, it becomes really easy for us to point the finger at other people. And say, well, you shouldn't be like that. Well, you're right. But there's probably some ways that you shouldn't be the way that you are too. You see, because what the enemy does is he, he, he begins to put pride in us. He begins to distract us. So my, the question is, where is it that the enemy may be attempting to deceive you, right? So these spiritual leaders were deceiving. They were teaching false, te- false doctrines, false teachings, and they were distracting the, 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 the people of Judah from the truth. And what God was using pro- the prophet Isaiah to do is he was using the prophet Isaiah to confront them with what was really true and who they really were and who they were supposed to be. You see, but what the enemy does is he distracts us with pride. He distracts us just with anything he possibly can, with apathy, with false teachings. Because, right, the, the passage said they moved away from the heart of God. It's like this slow fade. I believe we can even get into the church and we can be doing great things. You know, you can come in here, you can sit, and you can worship, and you can serve, and you can do all these things. And guess what? Your heart can still be far from the Lord. And here's what I believe. I also believe that if your heart's far from the Lord, he actually will allow your heart to be far from him. 
Because eventually when, when he now confronts our spiritual pride, he confronts that we've been distracted. He confronts that our heart's not where it's supposed to be. Then he starts to show us more of who we are and more of who he is in those moments. You see, they began to move. They, they moved away from the heart of God by their false teachings and their false doctrines. They moved away from the heart of God by allowing their mouths to say things that really weren't in their heart. They thought they could hide from the Lord, right? That's what the verse said. He said they tried to hide their plans from the Lord. He said they tried to turn things upside down. They tried to turn them around, right? That's what the enemy does. He says, how can, how can the clay say to the potter, well, you didn't make me. And that's what the enemy does. He will slide in and what he'll do is he'll take truth and he'll flip it upside down and make you think that it's truth when it's really not. And that's why it's really important for us to know the truth of God's word. Because you're, I, 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 I promise you, you will constantly be challenged on what is truth in our day, in our society. And we must be able to know what truth is. You see, because at the core of it, at the foundation, God knows your heart. You cannot fool God. You cannot fool God. He knows what's at your heart. If you're serving, that's great. But what's in your heart? Why are you serving? If you're, if you're playing music, why are you playing music? If you're, if you're speaking, then why are you speaking? When you go to work, what is it that's in your heart? Because God wants to confront our spiritual blindness, our spiritual pride, our hypocrisy. Because God cares more about us being more like him than he does about us feeling good about ourselves. So what's the, uh, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 4 says, In the presence of God and, and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season, out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For a time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead... To suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. And so here's what's happening. What's happening in our culture today is if you go into a church or into a situation and they're not saying the things that you want to hear, then what's happening is people are leaving that church and they're going to another church. And if they don't like what they're saying there, then they're leaving and they're going to another church. And if they don't like what they're saying there, then they're leaving and going to another church. And eventually what happens, because the enemy's really good at this, is you know what? I don't even want to be a church. When in reality, what may be happening is that we're actually being confronted with truth. Or then you'll find a place, oh, I like this place because they're saying what you actually want them to say. False doctrines, false teachings. Oh, I like this guy because he's saying what I want to hear. Not because of what is, what's the truth. You see, because one of the things we don't like to talk, talk about is God's judgment. We like his grace and mercy. We don't like his judgment so much because it makes us feel like bad people. 
It's not that we're bad people. It's that we're broken people in need of a savior. So the answer is this. The truth of God can change the heart of a, uh, the heart of a hypocrite. The truth of God can change the heart of hypocrisy. I put can. I didn't say it will. I said he can, right? Because what did they say? He said, their heart, with their mouths, they honor me. But with their hearts, they are far from me. So it says, hey, God will kind of let you be. He'll let you go through the motions, but as God's revealing himself to you is that's when you need to start to make adjustments in your life. When God starts to reveal who you really are. What have you, where have you chosen to believe a lie? Where's your heart? Are you just going through the motions? You can fake a lot of things in life, but you cannot but a true relationship with Jesus is not one of them that you can fake. Who are you when you're not at church? Who are you when you're alone? Who are you when you're hanging out with the crowd that you hang out with on a regular basis? Are you walking in your true identity? Are you walking in who God created you to be? Because what the enemy will do is he will make you think, oh, that's not me. This is who I am. When in reality, that's not who God created you to be. You're still operating out of hypocrisy. So the truth can, if we let it, change the heart of a hypocrite, right? Because I think that's the thing. And that's one of the things that I just remember. God would, in most situations, in my parenting, in my lack of parenting skills, God always used my wife to say, really? Like, is that really what you should have said? Or is that really how you should have responded? Is that really how you should have done it? And then I got to go back and I got to say, hey, Caleb, I'm really sorry, buddy. I should have never done that. I should have never reacted that way. I should have never said this. I should have never done that. I've had to say it to my wife a couple of times. And the last thing is this, humble ourselves and draw near to God. So not only can the truth actually change us and make us who God wants us to be, but we have to come to this place of humility Surrender. I mean, we've been talking about it for weeks. We have to come to this place of surrender. We have to humble ourselves and draw near to God. God will open our eyes to who he is if we truly desire to know more of him. In Hebrews chapter 10, it says, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with a full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess for the, for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Here's what I love is that Isaiah chapter 29 talks of God's judgment, first 10, 11 verses. God opens up who we really are, 13, 14, 15, 16. And then in 17, and on to the latter part of that passage, he says this, 
Therefore, this is what the Lord who redeemed Abraham says to the descendants of Jacob. No longer will Jacob be ashamed. See, God doesn't reveal his truth to you to make you feel ashamed. He shows you your truth because he wants you to be who he created you to be. To walk in his identity that he gave to you. It says, when no longer will their faces grow pale. When they see among them their children, the work of my hands, they will keep my name holy. They will acknowledge the holiness of the Holy One of Jacob, and they will stand in awe of the God of Israel. Those who are wayward in spirit will gain understanding, and those who complain will accept instruction. And so what these latter portions of this this chapter began to show us the redemptive work of God. Yes, we're hypocrites. Yes, we're pretty messed up, broken people. Yes, at times there's probably spiritual pride within us. Yes, there's times when we say things that our heart probably aren't really what our heart is saying. Yes, there are times when we're apathetic. But there's redemption. There's restoration through a loving God who says, I know that that's who you are. (laughs) And I'll let you be that way for a little bit. But I want to confront you on who you are. But now I don't want you to stay who you are. I want you to become who I created you to be. I want you to walk in the identity of who I created you to be. And so we have to humble ourselves and say, okay, God, I don't want to be who I think I'm supposed to be. I want to be who you created me to be. Let's pray. Is there spiritual pride this morning that you need to confess? Is there apathy? Are you operating in a way that the things that come out of your mouth are not really what's in your heart? Ask God to align your heart with your actions and your mouth. Ask him to make you who you, he created you to be. Thank him for his redemption and his restoration and his reconciliation. You see, because his death on the cross paid for our hypocrisy. God, make us more like you. God, that when we leave this place, God, we're able to walk out into a community who desperately needs Jesus and we're to authentically be able to walk in who you created us to be. God, confront us with our sin and our hypocrisy. Help us to see it and help us not to stay there, but to be changed by it. 
maybe you're here and you've never given your life to Christ and maybe today God's just making you aware of yourself of himself and maybe this morning you just need to say yes to Jesus maybe you're here and you do need to confess some spiritual apathy some spiritual blindness some spiritual pride Maybe you need to confess, God, I've just been going through the motions. And maybe this morning you need to say, God, help me to draw near to you. God, I just pray in this moment you would speak in only a way that you can. Will you stand with me? We're going to sing this last song. It's essentially recognizing that God is holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And this gives us an opportunity to, in our heart, truly worship Him. And if that's not where your heart is, then keep your mouth shut. But if you truly long to worship the Lord in this moment, then then allow that to be what comes from that God is trying to change you. As we do on a regular basis, I'm going to open up the front and give you guys an opportunity to come up front if you'd like and pray, if you'd like to worship, if you'd like to come with a friend, bring a friend with you, grab them by the arm and drag them down here with you and just spend some time praying. And then in a moment, once we're done singing, I'll ask the prayer team to come up and give you guys the opportunity that if you'd like to be prayed for, you can do that. But let's sing this song together. Holy, holy, holy.